0: Well, let's read God's holy inspired word together. 1 Samuel 8, this is God's word. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, the name of his second Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man, to his city. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that instructs us and trains us in righteousness, that shows us who you've called us to be and and what you desire for us. Thank you, God, that you ultimately desire to be our king. I pray, Lord, that you would use these verses to show us the ways that we are like the Israelites as well and we try to choose our own king. But God, I pray that you would reign in us this morning. God, have your will through each and every person here. May we be attentive to your word, God. And Lord, would you give your grace as I preach. In your name we pray, amen. Well, they say history repeats itself. And this can be seen. This tale that we have in 1 Samuel, it's it's seen, the same kind of thing seen all throughout history where people think they know what's best, they think they want what's best for them, and they choose that. In the late 1700s and the early 1800s, we saw that in France, Uh, the the French Revolution began. It was supposedly the age of enlightenment, and science was supposed to, and reason was supposed to free the people so that they truly knew what they needed and what was best for them. And so, in the French Revolution, there was massive bloodshed. They overthrew their leaders. There was chaos. The people threw off their king and royalty. They wanted to make a society in their own image of enlightenment. And from the midst of chaos, there arose a general named Napoleon Bonaparte. At first, the people were in love with him, and they elected him the, the consul, which was basically the, the, the head of all of their armed forces, the commander-in-chief. France was still supposedly republic at that time, But then Napoleon, he began to expand his power into Italy and to Switzerland and other parts of Europe. And then in 1804, he plotted and convinced all of the leaders around him to appoint him as the emperor. And he actually got the pope on his side. And so in the ultimate act of hubris, he, he has the pope come up and the pope has a crown. And he's about to crown Napoleon with it. And Napoleon grabs the crown and crowns himself instead Americans and British alike first lauded him as a hero. After all, we just gotten rid of our king. But in less than a decade, Napoleon dragged all of Europe into many bloodless, senseless wards and, and even dragged the U.S., whether you know it or not, into the War of 1812. And that didn't turn out too well for the U.S. The capital got burned. Napoleon ended up not giving to the people, but he took and took and took. And he made France even more poor and plunged the continent of Europe and his, his country into war and destruction. And we can think at times that we know what's best for us, and we can think that we know what kind of leader we really need. And all throughout human history it's been that way. And it was no different in the days of Samuel. The people of Israel found out the hard way. We know if you've read Samuel, not this story doesn't turn out too great. You're left like a cliffhanger at the end of chapter 8, wondering, who will be this king that they're asking for? We know it was Saul. He seems good at first. He didn't turn out so well later on. And then we think, oh, maybe Samuel, maybe David will be this ultimate king, and to some extent he was. But at the end of 2 Samuel, we see really that he is not God's faithful king. The people of Israel thought they knew what was best and that's a theme they thought they knew the kind of leader that they they needed they thought they could determine what should rule them and who should rule them In chapter 4 if you've been tracking with us through Samuel the people tried to use the ark like a like a talisman to get to win their battles they tried to use the things of God to accomplish their own purposes it didn't turn out well god gave them over to defeat in in 1 Samuel chapter 5 then god goes on this kind of trip through the area of the philistines and god conquers on his own to again demonstrate that he is the god who conquers they need him he does not need them and then in chapter 6 the ark returns and you think oh this is a great period of history and in israel's history and so the ark returns they rejoice but they don't follow god's law they look into the ark many die and they say we don't know what to do with god He's not the God we thought we wanted, we thought we needed, and so they send God away. And then in chapter seven, it's the highlight really of the first few chapters of Samuel. In chapter seven, after 20 years, they repent and they come back to God and they pray and they seek God. They gather for an assembly to worship together and in the midst of things going really well, hardship hits again. They're surrounded by the Philistines. And they realize They need God, and you think, this is great. They realize finally they need God to fight their battle, and so they pray, they cry out to Samuel, and Samuel says, God, would you come? Would you fight our battles? And he does. He comes, and he thunders amongst the Philistines, and God is their victor. God is their protector. God's their guard. And now here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see this swing back again. We see a swing back where the people have forgotten who God is. They've forgotten how desperately they need him to reign, to rule. And so here at the beginning of chapter eight, they've forgotten they ultimately need God to lead them, to guide them. We have a transition that's about to begin from judgeship to kingship. If I was gonna summarize the whole passage into, into one sentence, one main idea that we should take away, the boiling all down to one thing, it would really be this. It would be that seeking a king of your own choosing, seeking a king of your own choosing, it's, it's rejecting God. And it leads to slavery. That's, that's really the, the message that God had for his people as they were reading through this book in Samuel. It said, uh, he was showing that seeking your own king, choosing your own king to rule over you, it's, it's rejection of God. And it ultimately leads to slavery. Beginning to account, it, 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 it starts with what seems like some understandable desires, doesn't it? It says, when Samuel became old, he appointed his sons to judge Israel, and they were they were really wicked, evil guys. They were, they were seeking dishonest gain. So it's understandable, you think, right? Well, hey, I, I understand why they wanted another king to rule over them. You know, we can understand that, you know, from one president to the next. We can understand that at times we don't prefer things, and we want another person to reign over us, and we think that's the answer. Israel mistakenly thought, like we can mistakenly think, that a political system or a political party or a certain candidate is really the answer and the hope for our nation like they thought the hope for their nation was we just need to replace the leader and then everything will be fine we just need to change who's who's the man in charge and we'll be okay what they didn't realize is what they needed was god they needed god to intervene they, it doesn't make any sense their conclusion in one sense. They, they see that there's a hereditary line that Scripture did not allow, that, that Samuel kind of arbitrarily appoints his sons to be hereditary judges, something that Scripture doesn't allow for, and we don't understand why. We don't really see why. Maybe it was just out of convenience. But they do something that's really kind of strange. They take this hereditary appointment of his sons that's not working, and they come and they ask for another hereditary appointment, a kingship that would have a hereditary line after it. So even, even in their approach, it doesn't make sense, but what was really driving them was not just wanting to change the main guy. They wanted to call the shots. It's something that all of us as humans have this desire. This desire to choose our own king. That's really the first main lesson that we can see from this passage for ourselves is a desire to choose your own king. It's not just something that was limited to Israel. It's something that that tempts all of us. All of us want to be in charge, choose who's in charge. All of us want to have our say. Samuel was above reproach and faithful to God, but his sons were not. They were greedy, so it it was easy to see why They would want a change in leadership, but what they needed was for God to choose their king. We don't know why his sons were not faithful. We're not told why Samuel, we don't see him correcting or replacing the judges with himself. We don't understand that. Maybe he's following Eli's example. We're not sure. Boy, it's a sobering thing if you're a parent. To think Eli was, I mean, Eli was so unholy. What a negative example. Samuel was so holy and righteous and faithful. What a great example. And yet, in one generation, his own sons were not. Makes us dependent on really God to save our children and to reign in our children's lives. So the elders, they come to Samuel and Ramah where his sons were judging. They were about 57 miles away from where Samuel was. Samuel was in Beersheba. I'm sorry, Samuel was in Ramah. His sons were in Beersheba. Maybe he didn't know what was going on, but the elders, they wanted, to, they wanted to pick who would their next leader would be. You see, they held the authority, and something ironic here was, in them holding the authority of the judges, they delegated their authority to the judges. In a kingship, the king would take over the authority of the people. Something interesting to note, if you, I've read in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 17, God actually ordains that they will one day, when they enter into the promised land, they will want to choose a king. Only the king that they choose should not be a king like all the nations around them, but it should be a king who's after God's heart, a king who keeps their laws, a king who actually rewrite or take all of their laws, write them again for himself, his own personal copy, and read them day by day so that he would be governed by God. So Here, God's correction is not because they want a king, but it's really in their motives, their desire to choose their own king. They weren't supposed to be people who chose their own king. They were supposed to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation who relied on God to choose their leaders. But they were bowing to temptations. They were bowing to temptations to compare themselves, concerned with what other nations thought about them. You ever have those temptations? Have you ever temptations to, to worry or be concerned about what other people around you think about you? They were, they were seeking conformity and security. They were seeking safety. Instead of keeping their identity as God's people, they were forgetting that God's over all things. In the New Testament, one of the ways that Paul preached the good news is to tell them who God was, and in Acts 17 he says, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by men. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The Israelites forgot who God was. I think we're tempted to forget that too. When, when trials hit, when, when things go badly, when we don't like the government, when we don't like systems, when we don't like decisions, maybe when we don't like leadership, we think that we need to choose. We need to make changes here. We need to replace. They wanted security. They forgot that God's the rock, the most secure one. God's the one who protects them like a mother hen brooding over them. And, and it's love this wonderful picture in Scripture of this mother hen who kind of covers his, the children with his wings. And God says he's like that to his children. And yet they forgot that God's strong protection. And they wanted protection that a king would bring. They wanted the same status as the other nations. They were, they were willing to give up their status as God's chosen special people. And they wanted to be like all the nations around them. Like the people around them. The problem was they forgot who God is. And I wonder for us this morning, church, how often do we forget who God really is? In your life, when you're facing struggles, when I'm facing struggles and challenges and difficulties, when things, things seem shaky, I think one of our biggest concerns is that we forget who God is. You know, how many times are we tempted in a simpler way, similar way to give up our status as a chosen people to be like those around us? That could look like wanting to fit in and act like people around you. Maybe instead of showing what you believe by by living differently in in accordance with what you believe. Maybe you're tempted that way. Maybe maybe it looks like shifts in our thinking and our desires to be like the world around us and being pragmatic in our approach to the world around us and saying, "How, how would it look for me as a Christian to be governed by God to then affect the world and government and systems around me? Instead, we're often shaped by the government and the nations around us. A quote from a guy named Bill Arnold. He explains here the the reasoning of the elders. And he says, The elders reasoned that the proven solutions in worldly institutions would work just as well for a divine institution such as Israel. Read that again since we don't have overheads. The elders reasoned that the proven solutions in worldly institutions would work just as well for a divine institution such as Israel. The same logic is displayed today when the church is urged to imitate the practices that make corporations so effective and efficient. How often it's said today that by copying worldly approaches to recruitment and marketing and product delivery and communication, the church can expand God's market share in the world. The reasoning of Israel's elders continues to be heard among God's people. Appoint for us a king like all the nations. He goes on to write that their request was sinful in its motives because it reasoned that God's rule was not good enough for them and it represented rebellion against God. It was sinful in its timing because they weren't willing to wait until God would appoint the king that he said that he would. They weren't waiting and trusting in God, instead they were demanding it now. You ever do that? You ever tempted to demand, God, would you would you fix things the way I think this should be right now? God, this is not right. This doesn't look right to me, God, would you just do what I want you to do? I know I'm tempted in that way many times. And then the request it was cowardly. They were taking the easy way out and, and what do I mean by that? You know, when you choose your own way, it's actually easier. When you choose to be governed by yourself, when you, be cho- when you choose to be governed by your emotions or things you can see, it's actually easier because it's easier to trust the things you see and what you can control, but in the end, it doesn't turn out well. It's really a cowardly act because it takes courage to stand in faith, trusting in the God you cannot see. And that's what they should have done. They wanted a king to judge them, not Samuel. They were rejecting God as his king, and that's an ultimate evil when God's people reject his rule. And the second thing we see in this, in this story, this lesson about a rejection of God, that's our second lesson is a rejection of God. Not only do we see what it looked like for them to, to choose their own king, this desire, this evil desire to choose their own king, we see what it looks like to reject God. You see, the problem is they were rejecting God as their ultimate king, and after all, think back to a moment in the Garden of Eden. You know, whenever I mention that, I picture in my head, I can, I can picture a tree and Adam and Eve and, and the snake, and, and, and you, can, you can start to think, oh, it was about the fruit, or, you know, it was, it was about something else because it looked good, it tasted good. But what it was really about, they believed the lie of the serpent that they would become like God. They would become like their sovereign. Their creator, the ruler of heaven and earth, and so the temptation was that their eyes would be opened, and so that they would see the difference between good and evil, and they would become like God. What does that mean? They would essentially replace God as their own ruler and own king. They threw off God's rule. They rejected God, and ever since, we're constantly tempted to throw off God's rule to not submit to God and the means he's provided. We don't, here's something funny, we don't, see, we don't see Samuel reacting in anger. If I was Samuel and they came and said, basically, we don't want you, and by the way, he says he was old, but he couldn't have been too old because he lived for about 20 years more all the way through David. So he wasn't angry though. What did he do when troubles hit? Who does he turn to? We see in verse six, he, he turns and he prays to God. And that's a great example for us when, when we're displeased, when people challenge and threaten us and the systems and things that we trust in. When when people say that God's not good enough, where should we go? We should turn to the Lord in prayer. And so the, Samuel turns to the Lord in prayer, and, and he says, the Lord says back to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in verse 7, and all that you do, all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. The sin of the people of Israel wasn't that they rejected that they wanted a king, it was that they rejected God. They were rejecting their covenant God as king and they're gonna pay the price for it. And and the question, as you're reading this, that we're meant to have, you see, the the book of Samuel is meant for us to reflect on, to see those things and think, okay, how do I see my story in that story? Where do I see God's story ultimately? Where do I see God speaking to me? And then how does this apply to me? How do we reject God? God from being king over us. We need to ask ourselves: how, how are we tempted to reject God from being king over this? If this is something that systemically happened in the people of God, we shouldn't think that we're immune from this same kind of desire to reject God. Let me ask you: What passions and desires are you being ruled by? What motivates and drives your desires? Are you seeking for God to lead you? Or are you seeking for the wisdom of the world or pragmatism or? what we think is best. Let me ask, are you seeking to honor God as king in your attitude, in your actions, in your thoughts, in your behavior? Are you, are you, are you saying, God, I want to glorify you in all that I do. I want to live for you. Because otherwise, I think we can be subtly tempted to reject God as king. And what does that look like? It can be looked like being ruled by other things by expediency, by practicality, by what seems right, by, by how much things cost, by anxiety, by fear. Maybe what caused them to want to reject God's rule was that they saw Samuel's sons and they became fearful not sure. But we know that God's, God's assessment was not good. He says, they're not just rejecting you. They're not rejecting your sons. They're rejecting me. They're not seeing who I am and trusting in me. So verse 8 tells us the people were forsaking Samuel's leadership because they're forsaking God's leadership. It wasn't wrong for them to seek a godly leader, to replace Samuel's clearly ungodly sons. and It wasn't even wrong for them to say, Samuel, is it time for a king? Or to say, Samuel, would you seek the Lord? And would he make clear what our next step is? But they didn't do that. They were demanding. They were telling Samuel what he was going to do for them. And God says the problem when he evaluates their hearts, he says the problem is you're forsaking God's leadership and serving other gods. He says, just like they've always done since ever since Egypt, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. And 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 I showed them who I was, That I'm, I'm over Pharaoh, the greatest king at the time. You know, he, he, he directs Pharaoh's heart wherever he wants, and God says, I showed him that. I provide bread in the wilderness. Who does that? No one. I provide water from a rock. I part the sea. I showed them a pillar of fire. God demonstrated miracle after miracle after miracle, and they forgot who God was. They forsook God and served other gods. So in verse 9 we read that God allowed them to have the evil desires of their heart and don't think that this was mercy, it was judgment. This is God giving them over to the desires of their heart. And that gives me pause as I think about some of my prayers, some of the things that I want. I have to hold those things lightly and say, God, nevertheless, not my will but yours. Sometimes we can want the wrong thing. See, God allowed the people to have what they wanted even though it wasn't good for them. He gave them over the desires of their heart. Even in this though, he solemnly warned them and he did give them mercy, but he gave them mercy in a warning and he gives us passages like this as a merciful warning. He gives us passages as a merciful warning for us to see what not only they're really wanting and what the consequences would be, but for us to assess our own hearts. What are we really wanting? Because if we're choosing a king after our own heart, our own desires, it won't end well. He explains some real consequences of rejecting God. And ironically, in getting what they want, a king would now be sovereign over them. They would, they would actually give up their freedoms. They were freely choosing a king, and they were saying, we want a king to rule over us, and we want freedom, we want, we want safety and security. But what they were giving up was all their freedom. And we see a third lesson there is a tragic outcome of getting what we want is Slavery. A tragic outcome of getting what we want is slavery, and that's what God's warning to the people of Israel was. He, when I was reading the passage, I don't know if you noticed, but there were six times, six times that, where it says the king will take. He will take from you. He will take your sons. He will take your daughters. He will take your livestock. He'll take your fields, your vineyards. He's going to take and take and take. You think getting what you want will give you what you want? It will only take from you. Paul tells us the same kind of thing about sin. Sometimes we we think these sinful desires will give us what we want, and yet they actually make us slaves. The same kind of outcome we see here in 1 Samuel where he says it's gonna take and take and take from you, and in the end, you choosing your own king, you getting what you want, will end up in your own slavery. Slavery. So in Romans six sixteen, the apostle Paul says the same kind of thing. He says, "Do you not know if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness." A terrible thing for them is it. It meant the taking of their children. He says, he will take your sons." They'll conscript them into military service. They'll take your daughters, and they won't have a choice. They'll have to go and work for someone else. Boy, I think about my children in the future. They could be living all the time. You know, I pray that God preserves our nation from further moral corruption and debauchery. I pray that that God preserves and protects the freedoms that we enjoy today today that allows us to worship God and tell other people about him without punishment. And like most parents, I want my kids to be better off and to do better than I have myself. So I can't imagine hearing a warning like this of he will take your children from you and use them for his own purposes and that's the result of you following after your own idolatry. But then I think for a moment, we have that same kind of warning. If we follow after idols, the idols of our heart, Instead of pointing our children back to God and raising them up in the way they should go, as we heard this morning, Tyler and, and Gordon's commitment to do. If we follow after our own desires and our own, our, our own things, our kids are gonna see those examples and it will take our children away from the Lord. An earthly king that they're seeking won't just do things they want, they will take and take and take from them. And their children are going to pay the price for their idolatry and for rejecting God's king. And that's true for us. It's a good motivation to serve the Lord so that your children will not, by default, serve another king. Because that's the, that's the default of every human heart left to ourselves. And we trust God that ultimately will save our kids. But, but really, let's, let's remember the choices we make now make a difference for generations. Not only will this earthly king not rule like God, he'll take what belongs to God. He's going to take the best and, and take it for himself. And he's going to take the best of produce and fields and flocks and pastures. And then he says the very end of, of all this taking, you're going to give yourself over to this king. And the very end of you giving yourself over to this king is that you're going to be slaves. It's like that for us. We can give ourselves over to, to different desires, different idols we can give ourselves over to alcohol it can become our master and enslave us we can give ourselves over to to drugs and it can become ruinous ruler we can give ourselves over to pornography or lust and it can rule us and destroy marriages and we can give ourselves over to money and it can destroy us or success or whatever we think we can give ourselves over what people think about us and it will destroy us and be a snare and then he warns the next next morning he gives us in verse 18 he says in that day you will cry out because of your king whom, here's the key, you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord, and boy this is a dire warning, he says the Lord will not answer you in that day. The Lord will not answer you in that day. You're gonna, there's gonna come a day when things are gonna get so bad and so crummy for you, and, and you're not gonna have anything, and the king is gonna rule over you and dominate you. What you want, what you chose, is gonna lead to death and slavery, and there's gonna come a day when you're gonna cry out and God won't answer you. How terrifying is that? You know, that's, that's no different in one sense Today, we, we know from Paul in Romans, he explains how society goes down a path of moral decay, how things keep getting worse and worse. It's that God, if we choose to worship the created things instead of the creator as king, and we make all these other things in our life king, we choose other things instead of God, there's one day that God will give, give those over to their own desires. It tells us about that in Romans 1.1. 1, 1. And they'll go from one thing to the next. And God will allow their hearts to be hardened. For us this morning, if you're listening and you're being convicted that other things have displaced God. That they have, they have taken away God's place of supremacy in your life. That you are, are not thinking daily, Lord, how can, how can you reign and rule over us as we sang this morning? That you would reign. You know, so often we let other things reign and rule us, and yet it's a warning for us as well to not persist in that because it leads to truly being on our own. Now, I don't know about you, but I would think that that kind of warning would be it would be a pretty scary wake up call. And that they would turn back to God. So at this point you're reading through and you're thinking oh my gosh as they were hearing this what could they have been thinking? Samuel's telling them well, he's gonna take and take and take and take and you're gonna be slaves and you're gonna cry out one day for God to deliver your king and he won't because you've left him. But you know what? They didn't. They, they knew and they saw what was wrong but they didn't choose. They didn't choose to follow him their sovereign king. It wasn't wrong for them to want a king, but we can learn another lesson, the fourth, the final lesson we can learn from this account is that they needed a king. They needed a king. A king was needed, but not the one that they chose. We need a king, but not the one we choose on our own. It wasn't wrong for them to want a king. It was just wrong for them to want a king of their own choosing and their own timing. You know, ever since Adam and Eve, we've, we've tried time after time to replace God as sovereign. We look to other things and people and rulers to lead us and guide us. I was thinking about I've got three daughters, and that's frightening for me sometimes. Um, the youngest one is, is only barely two years old, not quite, in another month or so. Um, my, my eldest daughter is 12, and the other one's 10, and, and they're beginning to, to blossom, and I don't like that. I love it and hate it at the same time. And if you're a dad, you know what I mean. Um, But I can just imagine if my 10 and 12-year-old daughter, they came up to me and they said, Dad, we want a husband and we want one now. I'd say, uh, it's a little early. Timing's not so good. No, that'll end very badly for you. You're not ready, you're not mature enough yet, you're, you don't know what you're asking for. Yes, you one day may have a husband, maybe that's what God has for you, however, not now, this is not good, let me give you some warnings about how bad it could go, and then if they came back and said, well, dad, you know what, we went down to the QT, and we were there with our soccer team, and we met this great guy behind the counter. He just got out of jail. Um... He's only 24, so, you know, 12 years older, no big deal, and he's a great guy, and, you know, he's got a part-time job, and he's living in his mom's basement, but um, we think it's going to end really well. This is going to be good for us. He can provide. We, we think we want this guy. He's strong. He's big. He may weigh 350 pounds, but he's big. He can protect us, and I, I might have some choice words for my daughters, I can't imagine then if my daughters said, you know what, Dad, actually, we already are, we just said, no, we're gonna do this anyway. And they run off with the guy from QT. (laughs) After I said some ungodly things, I'm (laughs) I'm sure I'd want to rescue them. and It wasn't wrong for the people of Israel to want a king. Their motives were wrong, their timing was wrong, and they were not trusting in, in what God knew was best for them. And they forgot that they needed God to be over them, that ruling over them was really what was best. But you know what? Sometimes I'm kind of like the people of Israel. I just want my own way. You ever like that? You know, the times when I'm most embarrassed about getting angry with my wife and my kids, it's, it's not really because they've done something wrong. That's, that's not, that's, that hardly occurs. What, what occurs is, It's the desire by my heart why I get angry is because they're not obeying King Matt. You know, or they're not giving King Matt what he needs or wants. And so I take. I try to take honor. I try to take respect and take obedience. And that doesn't turn out well. But I'm like the people of Israel. I want to be king over my own heart. Sometimes I can forget who I need to be ruled by. In my attitudes, my actions, my behavior, my speech. Sometimes I can think that it's best that I know best. And so I can speak things that are not good about other people. I can talk about people. I can talk about situations and, and think that I know best. And what's really happening is that God's not ruling my speech. It's the God Matt ruling my speech. It's my fear. It's my concerns. It's my lack of trust. Sometimes we want our own way and we're not really seeking for God to rule and reign over us. You see, someone or something will always rule your heart. God created us that way. God created us to be ruled by him. And so someone or something, whether that's you or someone else or something else or an object, someone or something will always be seated as king in your heart that's not the question the question is who will be seated as king who will you say i choose to be king you know i know that as i consider this passage my prayer and i hope it's our prayer church my prayer is god please rule over me God, I'm so prone to forget your rulership. God, I'm so prone to forget your kingdom. And God, I'm so prone to forget your will. But God, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done in my heart? That's what we need to be praying. God, would you rule over the desires of my heart and cause me to desire for you to be over me? You know, God, would you rule my thoughts? Would you rule my speech? May my words be pleasing to you, O oh God. May I realize that you are over all and may I submit to you my emotions. God, would you rule over my behavior? God, I need for you to be over what I do so that it reflects you as king of my life. God, reveal where my thoughts, my desires, my speech, my behavior is not being ruled and submitted to you. I hope that's your prayer. They forgot they needed God to judge them, that they should seek for God to rule over them, that they really needed God's protection. They forgot the lesson of 1 Samuel chapter seven that God's the one who protects them and they looked for other ways to protect themselves. They looked for a king to give them security and safety and protection. What do you look for to give you a sense of safety and security and protection? Or maybe you'd like to be in control. Maybe you like to be in the know. But what we really need is for God to judge our desires and thoughts and speech and actions through His Word. They forgot that they need God to go before them to fight their battles, that He knows what is best. When you're facing difficulties, do you ever forget that? You know, when I was facing the leak this morning, <laughs> I'm, I'm tempted to say, oh my gosh, I just need to get up on the roof and I don't know, should we cancel this morning? What should we do here? You know? Um, I'm forget, I forget that God's really in control. And one of the first ways that we're tempted, when we face maybe defaults or defects in leaders like they did, or difficulties, or enemies, or hardship, we can be tempted to leave God behind so quickly in our hearts. We can leave God behind quickly in our thoughts, and our speech, and our actions. Just like they tried to leave God behind in 1 Samuel chapter 6. They didn't know what to do with this God who would rule them in a way that they weren't so sure they could trust but yet they really could God proved himself faithful time and time and time and time again first Corinthians 10 tells us that all these stories about the people of Israel written down for our instruction and then the end of this chapter it's foreboding look at the very end of this chapter if you have a bible with you the very end It says when Samuel heard all the words of the people Well, let's go back up to verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations. Think about the foreboding there. God said, you shall not be like all the other nations. He says, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Samuel heard all the words of the people. He repeated them in the ears of the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice, make them a king, give them what they want. That wasn't because God didn't have a choice. He was giving them over to what wasn't good for them. And Samuel sends them back, and it's foreboding, and they're going to get the kind of king that they're asking for, but they're not going to get the kind of king they need. What kind of king? The question for us in application what kind of king are you asking for? Who will be king? We're left at the end of this chapter, in chapter 8, wondering who will be king? We find out pretty soon Saul's raised up. God uses Saul. But the question for us, really, this question that's left hanging is who will be king? What kind of king will you choose? The Israelites were looking for a king, but it was just the wrong kind of king. The chapter really ends showing that we need. God to be king over us, and we shouldn't be living as if an earthly king is what we need. We shouldn't be living as if an earthly ruler or an earthly system or earthly solutions or money or power or government or whatever you're hoping, and we shouldn't be living as if that's what we need. You see, Samuel was written to show this looking for the king. And and you think at some point in Samuel that maybe that's David. He's a king after God's heart after all, but David fails, and then he fails, and then he fails. He's not the king that they really needed. God says that his king would be a faithful king. His king would obey all his words. His king would uphold justice and righteousness. His king would establish peace. And so we're left looking for a king. As we look fast forward to the New Testament, we can see that Jesus is the true chosen warrior king of all. Why do I call him the warrior king? Because he came to do battle with every sin and temptation that you face. You need that kind of king. He came to defeat sin. He came to take the penalty that you deserved and to give you forgiveness. He's not a king who takes. He's a king who gives. He came to to take God's wrath and to give you mercy. He's the kind of king that we need. He's gone out before us to defeat our sins. He's he's gone out against the greatest enemy. He's ruling and reigning, it says, over every principality and power, every person and thing. He's reigning in peace and mercy and righteousness and goodness. And No matter who our earthly rulers might be, no matter what you face, no matter what difficulties we face as a church, we can be sure that we have the king we need if we look to him, if we trust in him. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12.3, he says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And by making that statement, what he was saying is that statement of Jesus is Lord, that's an acknowledgement that Jesus reigns and rules as your sovereign. And then we believe in our hearts that not only is he reigning and ruling as our sovereign, but God has raised him up to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God as king. And if we believe in that, it says, you will be saved. So becoming a Christian is all about living for and with Jesus as our King. And Jesus is a different King, a King we can trust. When we surrender our lives to Him, He doesn't take, He gives. It says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give His life as a ransom for many. He gave up His throne to become a man and take our place. He's the king who gave his life for us. He's the king who gives us forgiveness. He's the king who who gives us mercy mercy in place of wrath. He's the, the king who pardons. He's the king who gives new life and peace. He's a generous king who gives his Holy Spirit to be with us and comfort us and lead us and guide us. How in the world will we not want to say, God, I want you to be my king. You need to be my king. You are my king. I acknowledge that you really are my king, my ruler. I'll read you two more quotes and we'll close. Bill Arnold says, all too often Christians become more like Israel than we care to admit, forsaking the security of the lordship of God and grasping after a compromised authority in order to become something we were never meant to be. Next quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor in the middle of World War II as Hitler was rising to power and some people in Germany, some Christians in Germany thought that that was best for them and they chose the Third Reich. But Bonhoeffer, he stood up and says, no, we will not submit to that. We will submit to Jesus. And he says, he says, only the man who follows the command of Jesus single-mindedly and unresistingly lets his yoke rest upon him finds his burden easy and under its gentle pressure receives the power to persevere in the right way. I'll read that again. By the way, if you you are feeling heavy burdened, if you are feeling weary, listen to this again. Only the man who follows the command of Jesus, single-mindedly and unresistingly yielding to the king, lets his yoke rest upon him, finds his burden easy, and under its gentle pressure receives the power to persevere in the right way. The command of Jesus is hard, unutterably hard for those who resist it. But for those who willingly submit, the yoke is easy, and the burden is light. When we give our lives to this king, we may lose the whole world, but he will give us everything that matters in return. I couldn't ask you to stand and we'll pray, and if the band will come up and we'll, we'll sing that song, that he would reign in us. And let that be your prayer in just a moment. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your scriptures that show us who we are and who you are god i pray that you would help us do heart work that you would help us evaluate our motives our desires and um, what we're asking for god and what we're praying for father i pray that you would help us be submitted to you as king and all those things lord maybe we'd be submitted in our motives and our timing god and maybe we'd be submitted to you not cowardly looking to the things that are seen but maybe look to the unseen to to you God, may we trust and rest in you to lead us and guide us. May we not try to be like you, like Adam and Eve, but may we instead submit to your good rule and reign. And God, may that be our prayer. In your name we pray, amen. Do we have overheads? Okay, good. Oh, great and mighty one, with one desire we come, that you